0: hello everybody and welcome to the space chams podcast i'm your host jim murphy and today we're gonna get into the moons of our solar system with me here today is my co-host will murphy will why don't you introduce yourself to the people Hello, lovely listeners. My name is Will Murphy, as, as your host just kindly introduced me. Uh, I'm actually the real life younger brother of your beloved host, Cham, as I like to call him. Um, I'm currently studying to, my, to get my degree in uh, mechanical engineering and mathematics. And uh, generally, uh, I, I just kind of, I, I enjoy, I found myself bound up in physics, math, biology, literature, art, like, you know, a bunch of different stuff that I find myself interested in. So, um, but as for why I'm talking to you right now on this podcast, I think, and I'm going to get real here. All right. I think just the night sky is a, an inexhaustible source of like wonder and awe, you know? And I think, uh, I love exploring like qualitative explanations for why the stuff you're seeing in that sky is the way it is. And I think I'm excited to get into talking about how all that works from like a physics perspective so that's why i'm here Mm, spectacular wonderful eloquent (laughs) all right willy boy today uh we're gonna start off with our uh hebdominal happenings of our local heliosphere and that is a wonderful phrase that you came up with that is our (laughs) essentially our current events or news of the week uh, and then after that, we're going to get into some of our moons that we like in our solar system and talk about their, their properties and why we like them and why we're singling out those moons. All right, here we go. A little over a week ago, um, Bob Bank and Doug Hurley splashed down uh, after completing their Demo 2 mission to the International Space Station. Uh, the Demo 2 mission was a SpaceX mission. And it was the first launch in a little under a decade from American soil. And it's also the first splashdown um, by Americans since 1975. So that was pretty awesome. And they splashed down just last week. That's the good news. And they're safe and sound now. Uh, All went well. Uh, It's a historic day. It's really cool. Now, wait, haven't haven't Americans from the space station splashed down since then or is that not how it works generally well not generally they haven't splashed down uh, what's happened is when they generally what's happened is we've been going up on the suyez or we've been going oh. up from uh, different space station and we land in Kazakhstan and when you land in Kazakhstan it's just a wide open basically field and oh, you yeah. actually hit the ground not water wow yeah so you hit it a little bit harder and it hurts a little bit more they say <laughs> Yeah. That's cool though. I didn't I didn't know that's not how I never thought about it, I guess. Yeah, that's how it works. So it's good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. The very exciting part about this though is that this um this launch and this splashdown uh show the emergence of a new space age, the commercial space age. Uh that's super cool. I actually like wrote my thesis kind of about uh commercial and private space endeavors. Their uh, their beginnings in the United States, and this is kind of like the fruition of it all, which is really cool. Uh, but basically, companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic are taking it upon themselves um, to put things into space, things, people, you know, everything else. They have the technology to do it. It's not only NASA, and so they're actual competitors in the game. So it's very exciting. So it's new age, and they can do it. The whole reason to have a private space, a private space program, is that they can do things uh, more efficiently. They can do more at uh, less cost. Uh, especially, uh, people like Blue Origin and SpaceX, which both have boosters and things that can land themselves and be reusable. Reusability is huge. Now, are there are there other international private space programs of any kind, or are they? I mean. I know SpaceX is definitely okay. I think it's American, correct? Is that or American based? Yeah, it's American based. Yeah. And what about Blue Origin or Virgin yeah, Blue Origin is American based as well. Yeah, mo mo like U.S. leads in private space, um, like companies really, mm-hmm. and in there they're kind of at the forefront. But there are others um, around the world. But I think their main their main goal right now is research based and also like putting satellites into space as well. A lot of private contracting, I believe. Okay. And they work with their respective. Yes. Countries, uh, space programs, I assume. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then another good thing of news that we can put in there is that the, um, SpaceX SN5 starship actually had, uh, a test, um, where it, jumped or flew 150 meters they called it a hop uh and that's pretty exciting uh and the reason that's exciting why most people think that's not exciting and why it is exciting is because um of the, the reusability aspect the uh, sn5 the starship is supposed to be the thing that's going to take um us to mars and it's going to take us to the moon and they want it to be able to land and then fly again and for that to happen it has to you know it has to land softly we can't have a hard landing like some of the rovers do or or some of the uh, probes do where they just smack on the ground you got to have a soft landing and then you got to be able to get off the planet again so that's yeah i I, mean. I read up a little on this when you when you told me about it and i watched the video as well and first the first thing that like you find is people are criticizing because it looks so ugly Apparently. People think it looks terrible because it's like stainless steel, and that there that was there was interest with that because apparently that makes it like way cheaper and apparently lighter somehow lighter than carbon fiber alternatives, mm. um, and like Elon Musk was defending it like they're not using he he said they're using steel that's made used to make pots basically, and it's and they're, and they're making that work with you know a a space vehicle and. I don't know. I, I did more reading on it. It's 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 interesting what they're what that's, you know, the purpose that's meant to serve and how they're gonna do it. Yeah, that stuff is crazy. I don't know. I didn't know that the the pot metal thing. That's really that's it's like three oh four stainless steel, I guess, when usually they use I think they've been using three oh one is what they I don't know what those mean necessarily, but three oh one stainless steel is what they've been using since the fifties basically. And this is gonna be slightly different, but not 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 that different apparently a lot of people saying it looks like a barn silo like a like a grain silo (laughs) yeah a little bit i think though honestly it reminds me of like the delorean yeah it does a little bit it's it's got that look to it which is yeah 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 Yeah, i i i i I like it it's it looks it's gonna look good when it's complete you know it's gonna have the cone on top and it's gonna Mm -hmm. have the it's gonna look great when it's complete it's gonna look like a rocket which is cool i'm not really too worried about how it looks as how much it like how well it does really yeah yeah for me personally um but yeah so that was uh that was our news for the week um it's great stuff all right will you want to get into uh the moons of our solar system absolutely let's let's do do it. it let's start with uh let's start with the one and only our moon our beautiful moon uh where would you like to begin well i i feel like um i happen to know that you're not that impressed with our moon i don't know maybe i'm mischaracterizing <laughs> your views but i, I feel like I've, I've i've gotten a certain i don't know kind of you're not giving given enough credit to our to our wonderful little moon little i don't know if it's little actually i think it's relatively large um It's not that I'm not not impressed with our moon, okay? I I love our moon. Our moon is great. We need it. it. We need it. But we've also been there. You know, we've had 12 people there. We've had people there. Uh, You know, if we get a colony there, then maybe we can talk again. But, you know, we know what the moon is. It's just a bunch of dust. Um, You know, it used to be part of the Earth, or that's the theory. And, you know, I'm excited. I want to go to different moons that I'll talk about after you talk about our moon. Okay, well, you know what? Counter-argument. I think I'd love to hear it. First of all, I think our moon, it's not an interesting answer, I guess, but our moon is probably my favorite moon because, you know, homegrown. Literally, like you said, there is a theory. The theory that it was basically a part of the Earth that was ejected in a collision with a quote-unquote Mars-size object. I don't know where that Mars-size object went, I have suspicions. Um, but uh, maybe it became part of Earth, I don't know, but uh, that's possible anyway. Uh, the moon, easy to <laughs> get excited. The theory, the theory, as, as you stated, goes that the moon is a former part of Earth, and that in and of itself is part of what makes the moon unique. Our moon unique because most moons form when their planets form in the same way that their planets form, and planets form when their stars form. And ba- basically, everything starts off as like a, like a spinning accretion disk, basically. That's how stars generally form. And so it's like a spinning disk of material, like dust and gases and stuff like that. And planets generally form out of that, out of like the, the fringes of that disk where the majority goes into the star. So like nine something like 99% of the mass in our solar system is in sun. So that 1% is in the, the fringes that coalesced into different planets, including the Earth and Jupiter and, you know, Saturn, Um, all of the planets. Uh, But the Moon, our Moon, most Moons form in the same way, just what doesn't go into the planet goes into the Moons. And so it's kind of like leftovers. It keeps, keeps cascading down like that until there's no, it's not big enough to maintain like an orbit. But our Moon did not form that way. We had no Moon to start with. I, I, as far as I know. We don't know about any moon we had. Um, so we were one of those bodies that, that had no natural satellites. But some large ill ill-intended Mars-sized object hit the nascent Earth, I guess, and and ejected the moon, and now we have our own natural satellite, unlike in that way, unlike many other in, others in the solar system and maybe even the universe. I don't know how often such a thing happens. So you're telling me that the, our moon is an anomaly. It is in that way. Yes, it is. And oh, others. It's other. actually Because it's so large compared to Earth, I think it's kind of large compared to Earth. It's not, it's not huge, but like Pluto has a moon called Charon, I think that's very large and like it actually throws Pluto off its orbit. But our moon has a stabilizing effect on our orbit that we've studied apparently in recent years. And it's actually possible that it's contributed to life's, to thrive on earth because of that stabilization so our moon's kind of the best i was about to say yeah i mean we're we have an anomaly moon how it created and we also have life question mm. <laughs> coincidence? <laughs> i'm not sure so i'm not gonna answer that question but it's <laughs> very interesting uh my personal favorite part of the moon that i have you know it goes along with how big it is is uh, the moon and the sun look the same size in the sky, even though the sun is like, uh, it's like, it's gotta I'm be like. Thousands of times bigger. Yeah, way bigger, way bigger. Anyway, but so relative to us, the moon looks like it's as big as the sun. And this is how we can have like total, total you know, like solar eclipses and things like that. Yeah, so, I think, yeah. I, I believe the, the term, is uh angular diameter its angular their, their angular diameters in the sky are something like i don't know 31 arc minutes or arc seconds so they take up a, a very similar amount of space in our in our entire view of the sky so that and that's complete coincidence like you're saying yeah. there's no reason that should be or has to be true and in fact in the past it's been less true than it is now because the moon is receding from earth and it will continue to do so but so like that's changing even so it's kind of weird that we have that opportunity i like the the mythology behind it when you look at it from like a mythological standpoint and do you look at it from a scientific standpoint like the mythological standpoint the moon and the sun are like you know ying and yang and they offset each other and they keep each other in balance and everything when in reality mm-hmm. if you put the sun like next to the moon, it would be you wouldn't even be able to find it. You know, it's just yeah. significant, like in the universe. But to us, it is that yin and yang. It's it's you know night and day. It's everything. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, night and day. Exactly. Yeah. So I like that part about it too. It, it keeps it keeps you know it's keep humanity. It's kept humanity uh, baffled in wonder. Mm. Quite wonderful. Yeah, the moon is. That's another reason it's my favorite. It's so it's fantastic just to look at the moon at night when you can see that three dimensional either you, know, you can see the shadow on the edge and it's just so clear that that is like its own very three-dimensional body in space and there's, yeah. not, there's nothing physically tethering it i it's got funny. a good picture of it last week when i was doing a little uh, home astronomy uh, i got really? it was like almost a full moon i believe it was august 2nd so it was almost a full moon but in the bottom left corner, I actually posted it on Space Jams. So if you follow Space Jams, then you saw it, the Instagram. But in the bottom left corner of the picture, you could see the craters and everything, and that was the best part because you can yeah. see the three-dimensional part of it. Yeah, So you know it's exactly. real. That's my argument. That's the argument of why it's the best? Number one. Number one? Gotcha.
1: Totally.
0: But it's also responsible for, like, tides and stuff, I guess, which is important for some reason. Yeah. And that, that, again, another thing in my brief research into the moons of our solar system in preparation for this is that that whole idea of tidal forces is, is like, unbelievably cool, it turns out. Like, you've, I, most people have heard at some point or another, like, oh, the moon causes our tides. And, like, I've heard that, too. And in eighth grade, it was explained, like, oh, the moon and its gravity on Earth kind of, like, squeezes Earth and pushes the water to either side of it or toward and away from it and it's like okay i guess that's that's cool and then it kind of ended there but then i realized in in my recent research of this week that it's like way cooler than that even because essentially that the moon causes this squeezing of the earth It pulls pulls the earth toward and away from it along the axis between the moon and the earth and causes this bulge right so this weird kind of spheroid shape rather than, than like, the, the sphere that we think, you know, Earth probably wants to be under normal circumstances. Yeah, the Earth is actually a little flat on the poles, right? Really? I. It is, it is. I asked a question, yeah. but I know the answer. Oh, I also actually, in unrelated interest searching, found out why that's true, too. Anyway, interesting, but different topic. Um, uh, but, so the Moon Rota- orbits around Earth slower than the Earth rotates, right? So that means, if you think about it for a second, that the Earth with this bulge actually rotates faster than the bulge follows the Moon. So the, the Earth rotates through that bulge. And so the bulge, because of friction, like the Earth has to reshape itself, right, to move through that. So that bulge actually, it leads the Moon a little bit in, in the Earth's rotation. So it's in front of the Moon. And the effect that has is that it, it kind of pulls the moon off of that center line between the Earth and the moon, and it actually causes the moon to kind of ascend further away from Earth in its orbit and to maintain, in in maintenance of angular momentum and energy in general, right, which is always something you have to keep track of and something that nature does a good job of doing, Uh, Earth actually slows its its rate of spin. And so the moon is receding into, you know, further away from Earth, and the Earth is slowing down, and that's just, that's because basically the ocean, not necessarily the ocean on its own, but the ocean adds to the effect that this sloshing effect of, of mass is big enough that the moon is actually being kind of driven away or allowed to drift away from Earth because, the, you know, the mass on Earth is so mobile and able to be squished around by Earth, by the moon's gravity, and I thought that's like, I've never heard that before this week, and it was so cool. To learn about that tidal forces tidal acceleration it's called yeah i've never heard of that either that's super cool yeah it's just these weird phenomenon that happen because we have liquid water and we have a you know pretty big moon and that happens with other planets that don't obviously don't have liquid water but i like to think the liquid water also kind of enhances the effect a little bit because it's so mobile so so easily yeah well, actually, that's kind of a good segue into another moon, if you would like to move on. I guess. I mean, I rest my case. Our moon's number one. All right. Right now, he thinks the moon, our moon's number one. Let's, let's, let's change his mind, people, okay? All I know, he's talking a lot about bulges, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Well, let's get into one of my favorite moons. Actually, my favorite moon um, for its mystery, uh, and that is Europa. And I wanted to bring this up that we talked about liquid water because Europa's claim to fame is that it has a very icy outer shell, and underneath, due to lots of research and study on Europa, they believe there is liquid water, an ocean, which uh, I believe they think that if the ocean is underneath there that it could have four times as much water as we have here on earth. Wow. Yeah. So that'd be pretty incredible. But the cool thing about Europa is they believe it has a iron core. Um, They believe that core could be molten because for there to be water underneath your, underneath Europa's icy outer shell, there would need to be some kind of heat source to keep it liquid or Mm. to keep the water liquid. Uh, and another reason that they think this is possible is because on Europa's surface, there are ice geysers um, that shoot ice and particulates into space. And this could be, you know, this is like a type of energy transfer, like a, you know, shooting out kind of like a, almost a steam kind of effect. Hmm. Yeah. That's kind of cool. And for all of you who don't know, Europa is uh, one of Jupiter's moons. Um, It's one of Jupiter's Galilean moons, meaning it was found by Galileo in uh, 1610. Uh, And it was at first, it was believed to be a star uh, because it was so bright, probably because of its white outer shell. Um, But then it was discovered that it was a moon. So that's a little backstory on it. Now, I'm curious. I, I approach these things occasionally with a little skepticism as of late because uh, the whole molten iron core thing, right? Uh, one common thing among these moons is that they, they kind of get pushed around gravitationally, right? And that causes friction in, in internally. Now, maybe that, I guess, could also mean it has a molten core, but couldn't that also be the cause of that ger- that geothermal heat that's that's kind of causing the ice to to melt beneath or, you know, maintaining that ocean or is it just a, is the iron core, is there a reason that's the main theory? Do you know? Um, well, I think your theory is also one of the top theories where the gravitational forces put on Europa by Jupiter and the other moons surrounding Europa are causing a push pull effect that's similar to mm. us on earth. So, you know, it could be pushing water out just by, um, it could be creating like energy within it that pushing pulling so yeah that, that is possible and what they believe is what the hope is is that when they go to Europa hopefully and they'll they'll the, the plan is to send something very similar to the InSight rover uh, where it digs deep down into the surface of Mars uh, the InSight rover is right now or it's planning to it is there now and it's digging but what they want to do is take a rover like that, take it to Europa and instead of dig, possibly melt, melt down through the crust and try to get to the liquid water or even into the into the ice far enough where they could find um, what is inside of the water, like what what's inside of it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the goal. And they want to figure out, if they can find any life there, because liquid water, very important for life here on earth, uh, important for carbon-based life forms as we know it. Um, Of course, Europa is very cold on the outside, but underneath they believe there could be geothermic plumes, um, just like there are geothermic plumes underwater on earth, and there are bacteria and things that can live next to them. And the reason this is possible is because of chemosynthesis. And what chemosynthesis is, is it's kind of like photosynthesis where plants use the energy of the sun and you know, water and to live. But this is uh, chemosynthesis is when organisms and things would use the energy from and the chemicals coming out of these plumes to survive. And they think, if they can find life on Europa, that this will be a good indication of how life started there and how life started here on earth. If you follow me. Yeah, that's, that's really cool idea. Um, One, so two questions actually. Uh, The, the insight, is it insight Rover on Mars? Yes. How, how deep when you say digging like deep into the surface of I mean, how deep because there's only so much a rover can do, right? We we have trouble digging, you know, a mile into our own crust, it seems, or a couple of miles. And that's how deep does the Insight rover go? Do you know? Well, yeah, you're right. The in, the, the rover, what you're talking about in general, actually, is um, the rovers are have trouble doing what a human being could do. Actually... A lot of people say like what an astronaut can do in five minutes, a rover can do in a week. So having a person there on Mars would be super helpful, especially for InSight. But I believe InSight is supposed to dig like no more than like 20 feet down because it is a rover. So I don't think it could get very far. That's still impressive though. I don't even know impressive. how that would work. I'd have to check that. I have It, it could be less than that, but I, I, I don't think it's more than that. Um. Well, then that kind of – Either way, I, I would, the, the answer to my next question is, uh, the, again, the brief research I've done on Europa, I mean, that ice sheet is, I mean, I think, I believe, for reference, our crust, the crust of Earth, which we've never gotten through, is like 13 miles thick, I think, something like that. But the ice crust on Europa, I believe, is like 10 miles thick, 10 to 15, right? Yeah, and that's what they believe, yes. That's kind of tough, right? It's tough to get through that, given that we, even on Earth, we have trouble getting, I'm not sure if we ever gotten to a distance of 10 miles on Earth below the surface, you know? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, there are some things holding us back. Um, one of the things is that it's very far away. Um, yeah. And the other thing probably is that our technology may not be great to get this done quite yet but it's exciting because of the experience, like the the possibility of origins of life, question mark. (laughs) Super exciting. And another thing they talk about of why finding life on Europa might be really incredible as opposed to finding life on Mars is that Mars, there's a theory that if we did find life on Mars or we found, you know, something there like fossils and things that that life could have actually come from earth or that our, our origins may have started on Mars or something like that. Hmm. So, you know, bacteria and things and particles have, you know, taken, you know, they leave the planet somehow and then they land on our planet and that's how it works or, or the other way around. And the, this could be, it would be much more it would be much more reliable to see if life uh, was on Europa, that it didn't come from earth because it's so much farther away. So that that's okay. why that's exciting too. Yeah. And the other thing with the, we were talking about the plumes earlier and the, the geysers and things, the big thing that, you know, they've studied that the outer shell of Europa is, you know, indeed changing because they've taken photos with, you know hubble voyager 1 voyager 2 and different probes uh to see that you know the ice sheets are actually shifting and so things are coming from underneath mm-hmm. and uh, like you know uh kind of like our tectonic plates we have you know things move and submerge and things come out and it's, con- it's the surface is constantly changing so it's pretty exciting stuff yeah that uh, that's it's cool how the, the way they kind of have to interpret, they have to infer that these things are true about these. Mo- it's, it, it does add to my skepticism, but it is, it's, it's interesting. The information that they can glean from what little they can actually observe of these, of these moons and planets. It's cool stuff. Yeah. I think being skeptical makes sense for sure. Yeah, But um, it's still the best moon there is. Okay. All right. That hurts, but whatever. Okay. Um, I think one interesting thing also that I found was that when they send probes and things to Jupiter and Saturn, right, oh, I, I, I have trouble remembering any of the names or any of the specific names, but like Pioneer, uh, I don't know, 10 and 11, Voyager 1 and 2, Cassini, Huygens, I don't know, there's something, there, there's plenty of them, right? And the we'll coolest thing I thought, a second. what? We're going to get to Cassini, Huygens in a second when we talk Ooh. about Titan. Well, there you go. Well, um, one of the interesting things I thought related to what you're just talking about is that they like they won't crash, they, they won't leave them in orbit, right, or crash them onto like where whatever moon they're studying because they're afraid of what you're talking about, uh, like contamination. I think the term, I think the, the theory you're talking about is panspermia, where like life from one planet somehow makes its way to another and then, you know, propagates that way. That's kind of interesting, but I think it's it's cool how to avoid that, the that prospect cool of that. Sentence. That was a good cool sentence. You just Yeah. A sentence there. Sounded official. <laughs> Welcome to Space Chams, everybody. We're not totally garbage. <laughs> wow. What a, what a sell, um, but um, yeah, the idea that they're so afraid of that, that rather than leaving one of these probes in orbit, they'll crash it into Jupiter, right, or Saturn and It'll just like be crushed into oblivion in the center of Jupiter. And like we have probes that are like somehow within Jupiter, right? If it has a rocky core or something like that, it's stuck there. And I think that's very cool. And that the motivations for that are we're so afraid of contaminating these possibly hospitable, like, you know, environments hospitable to life. That's such a such an interesting and an idea I respect. Like, you know, being careful about that is is important and science fiction, if it's taught us anything taught us that right yeah it's wonderful stuff all right let's leave that frozen desolate wasteland behind that definitely doesn't have any life on it, <laughs> it definitely does <laughs> all right so you mentioned the Cassini Huygens Huygens we're not really sure to print Huygens I believe um, it is Huygens you there's there's believe a, it's Huygens but Huygens principle of physics yes of course um So that was a probe specifically sent to Titan, which is a moon of Saturn. Uh, This is my second favorite moon. So I'm very excited to talk about it as well. Uh, The Cassini orbiter was set out and uh, put out there by the European space agency, I believe uh, a bit of time ago. And, Its job was to look at the surface of Titan and everything and check out its atmosphere while the Huygens uh, probe entered the atmosphere and actually flew and landed, kind of crashed, I think, on Titan. And there's a video of it. It's really cool. And it shows Titan's like mountain ranges and things and it's foggy atmosphere. It shows it entering its atmosphere and you can see a lot. And then when you enter the atmosphere, it gets all foggy and you can't see anything. And then you get below that and you see the mountains and stuff. So it's very cool. Titan, super cool moon. Um, I love it because it has liquid methane pools of liquid. Obviously, liquid methane pools of liquid. There you go. Good, good distinction. Yes, yes, it is. Um, and there's, we don't, I don't know how much we know about Titan, except it's been a fan favorite in science fiction for a long time, and it has possible properties that it could sustain life. It has oxygen, hydrogen, and carbon dioxide in its atmosphere. It's very cold, um, but it's a place where they could find life as well. They believe life could possibly be there on Titan, and so it's a very interesting um, celestial body, and I'm very excited. I like it for its mythological, you know, stance, its scientific stance, and its science fiction stance. I, I just think it's a cool place and the um the other thing is they their nasa is planning on sending a it's like um it's very similar to the hover rotorcraft we're sending to mars right now ingenuity except they want to send it to titan and they want to send it in 2026 it's called the dragonfly rotorcraft and they would send it in 2006. It would have an eight year journey and then it would land and then it would spend two and a half years making over a hundred flights flying around Titan's surface. That'd be super cool. I'd love to see that. Uh, It's going to take a decade and more, but uh, it's going to be super cool when that happens. I think I need to see that video that you're talking about of of the Huygens probe touching down on Titan that sounds like uh, again in that that same you know habit of crash landing things on in Jupiter one thing that always Jupiter's less interesting is it's like probably just a big ball of gas there's probably not much actually going on at the center yeah maybe some rock I guess but with Titan you get that I mean it's entirely possible that my dream has come true and I'll, I'll get to see a video of you know an alien object landing on an alien world right that's like the it's our we're the aliens i guess but still that idea that nothing basically nothing has happened there right that wasn't completely like you know an asteroid or a, say, a comet hitting it right something like that and a meteorite hitting it nothing just wind and basic activity right but then all of a sudden a metal probe from another world lands there. We have video of that happening. That, it sounds like the coolest scene in, like, I can't think of something right now that's cooler than that right there. What an interesting. Oh. Yeah, it'll be cool. I, well, if you want to know where the link is, it's definitely on Space Chams on the Titan post, which is like a couple months back, but it's at the very end. It's not a, it's um you have to copy and paste it in there but you can find it and it's pretty cool Uh, i certainly love it titan's second fave you know it's not a water planet my first favorite was the water planet Europa. second favorites titan uh it's got land and it's got you know pools of liquid methane so pretty cool stuff possibly life (laughs) uh yeah so that that that's my that's titan so there's one and two, and the moon has now been kicked all the way to three. Um, okay, wow. But uh, there you go. You know you can keep on trying. Does it at least make three? It better make three. Yeah, yeah. I think we can give it. I think we can give it three in my book. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I guess so. Okay. But wait. maybe we should take a poll from the people, from like the six people listening to this, who we're all <laughs> to see which moon they like the best. I mean. We wouldn't get, I mean, we, we could get very definitive answers from a, from a small audience, you know? Yeah, we could. We could get it answered one, once and for all. No yeah. questions, no yeah. indecision. Six people basically sums up the whole population. Pretty much, usually. Yeah. Oh, all right. Moving on. On our way to Neptune. Neptune, indeed. To visit one of your faves. I I'd call it my second. So if, well, I don't know. I'd have to think more about Europa and Io and, you know, Jupiter moon stuff like that, but I think Triton right now has a special place in my place in my heart. Triton, the uh son of Neptune in 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 mythology in or Roman mythology. Mm. All right, state your case. Let's let's hear about Triton. Okay. Well, Triton, all right. Um I just think it's it's I I'm going to Preface this with: It's got more to do with kind of its its sterile physical existence than its life harboring capability. So nowhere near as sexy and romantic as you know, <laughs> Europa and Titan, but it's cool. Whatever. everyone, got,
1: everyone You're, you're what wrong it. about
0: that. It's got mythological drama tied into it, and we'll uh, see why. I'll explain. Um, so first thing, the big thing is Triton is the the kind of the headline special thing about Triton is that it's got what we call a retrograde orbit, which means that if Neptune is rotting, rotating clockwise, right, or orbiting, no, rotating clockwise, and it also, no, Neptune, Neptune has a strange rotation compared to its orbit around the sun, but anyway, it's a different topic, similar but different. Uh, Triton has a retrograde orbit, meaning it rotates the opposite direction that it orbits Neptune, right? And so this is uncommon because of this, this, the reasons that we, talked about essentially for the same reasons we talked about earlier where the way moons tend to form, they form kind of with the same rotational energy that their planets form. So if the planets are rotating in a certain direction, the moon will be orbiting in the same direction and rotating in the same direction. So that's kind of where where things like to be. That's like a like an equilibrium where things tend to approach that if they can. But Triton is doing the exact opposite. And this is not that uncommon with like small bodies that like they're kind of just, there's not enough going on, not enough uh, gravitational forces to kind of force them into alignment. But Triton is kind of big. It's the biggest, I think it's the only moon in our solar system with a, only really large moon in our solar system with a retrograde orbit. And what this means is, first of all, its origins are, not unlike our own moon, strange. They're, they're, they're not your average, because the theory is, since it's not rotating in the right way, it's not orbiting the right way or rotating the right way, whichever way you want to look at it, I guess. Rotating. Um, The theory is that it's a captured object. It's not like, it's not an original moon of Neptune. uh, And I think it has many. Um, It's captured probably from the Kuiper belt, right? So Neptune, the adopted son of, so Triton is the adopted son of Neptune. So there's your first, it's getting more dramatic, right? In mythology, correct? Yeah, uh, although in mythology, I'm I'm almost certain Triton is not adopted. Uh, but anyway, uh, so this leads to more problems down the line in terms of Triton's dramatic, uh, the fact the dramatic facts facts of Triton's uh, existence. So what it's this retrograde orbit causes, uh, combined with its relative large size, is it, it's kind of disruptive to its orbit so this for the same reasons we talked about earlier, the whole tidal acceleration thing, uh Triton experiences what's called tidal deceleration, which means that it for the same that same squeezing force right on on Triton and Neptune, uh, Triton is actually being dragged closer in toward neptune right, and for the again analogous reasons, neptune's spinning faster as a result of this this dissension of Triton so Triton is being pulled in because of its strange retrograde orbit and Neptune is is you know quickening its pace as it rotates and so that right there is cool enough real quick sure so what so that kind of sounds like so the moon is the earth is is spinning slower and the moon is going away and with Triton and Neptune Neptune is spinning faster because Triton is coming in. So it's like a figure skater. I think it's a very, very, very similar uh, idea. So yes. For everyone who might not know exactly what I'm talking about, and I don't even know exactly what I'm talking about, when. but have you ever watched figure skating? Um, the figure skater, when their hands are farther away from them, they spin slower. And then when they put them close to their chest – they spin faster. I don't know Mm -hmm. why exactly, but I do know that that happens. That Um, is, I I believe, and I could be wrong. I'm not an expert as we've, as we've uh, kind of established, but it's, that's a function of uh, maintaining angular um, momentum. Right. So, okay. You know, in most cases, right. Naturally systems maintain uh, energy, right. They don't, they don't, energy isn't created or destroyed. So to maintain the energy inherent in this rotation and orbit, right, if you bring it, if you're, if you're like swinging a weight around you, right, uh, and it's really far away, you don't have to spin very fast, and it keeps itself kind of in orbit around you. But if you pull the rope that you're pulling it on, that you're spinning on, right, suddenly, if you ever tried to do that, it gets much harder to pull it in, first of all, and you start rotating much faster. It's the same mm. thing if you were to spin on like a, like a desk chair, and hold a book out in front of you, and then pull the book in, you'd start spinning faster. It's very cool. I recommend you try it. Uh, but don't blame me for any dizziness or problems that, that occur. Um, so that's kind of a, yeah, you're exactly right. It's the same thing. Although there's there's some uh, strange kind of results, because there's no physical tether here. It's a little harder to think about, but it's the same concept. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and this is it's a little counterintuitive because it's called tidal deceleration, even though things are kind of speeding up in this case, rather than in the last case, things are, even though it's tidal acceleration, things are actually kind of slowing down. Interesting stuff. So Triton being reeled in by Neptune because of its its errant behavior, essentially, right? The adopted son. Of and now, The stepfather, stepson, situation is tough. It's yes. Not, it's <laughs> tough to deal I with. mean, yeah. we don't want to make generalizations, I'm sure, that, but yeah, in I'm this sure. case, it's fitting, right? It's trying, to connect, it's trying to literally connect with its adopted son. Yes, yes. and it Mom gets, left. She's out of the picture. <laughs> Go nowhere, but, you know, Neptune, is making it work. Well, so it gets more dramatic than that because oh. as Triton is reeled in, right, there's only so many things can happen. You can drift away as far as you want. There are limits to how far you can kind of come in, right? And so you can imagine some of the, the possible outcomes. One is that if something drifts toward right, its orbiting its primary planet, it could hit it eventually, right? In the case of Triton, apparently, as I've learned, that is not the, the, the main theory. The main theory is actually that Triton will be ripped apart by gravitational forces when it, when it approaches close to Neptune, and it will more likely create just kind of a cloud of debris around Neptune, or maybe even rings, which would be very cool, right? But kind of a tragic end to the, 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 the Triton-Neptune saga, right? So the, I mean, kind of a devastating end for for Triton as a a very interesting entity, but kind of it has its days numbered by Neptune's greed and gravitational pull. Stepfatherness. Yeah, really. So let me get this straight. Um, So your favorite moon is our moon. Yeah. Uh, And then your second favorite moon is going to be torn apart. I'm afraid that, that sounds about right. Yeah, I can't deny that. You can really pick them. Okay. Unnecessary. Uh, cool. Yeah. Oh, well, it's still a fascinating thing, but it's very... I it's think it's very cool. Very cool. All it's right. It's cool to learn about things like tidal deceleration, because that's exactly why I learned about it. And it's like, that's such a cool phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have known it if we hadn't been talking about this. I don't know about the, I don't know if the listeners know this, but we we learn as much as you learn. I don't know how much you learn from this, but we learn just as much as you learn just from doing it. So that's one of the cool parts is, you know, we get to learn a lot more about something that we're interested in. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. All right. A uh, little, little wrapper-upper here. My favorite parts about these moons which is always my favorite part about any of this is the exploration factor i love exploring these new places because i have no idea what's there um and there's always the possibility that we figure something out about ourselves and about our existence and the origins of life and those are the things that are really cool and we all kind of try to look for some purpose in our lives and that's kind of tough and it may not be external but the origins of life may be out there are we unique? Is Earth unique to, to having life forms and organisms? Maybe, maybe not, but we're going to have to keep exploring to figure it out. And that's why these moons are so exciting. And we talked about only a couple moons of our solar system, but there are hundreds of moons in our solar systems, maybe even thousands. Well, there's hundreds of moons for sure. And there's thousands of things in our solar system. Um but they're all, they're all pretty cool. And I recommend you all check them out. I posted about a couple of them on our Instagram page, but uh, just do them for your own curiosity. They're really cool. Any, any closing statements? I think kind of in a different direction. Uh, I think the most interesting thing about these is kind of this, the more you look into it, the more you find that there's kind of this base equilibrium state that everything's kind of trying to approach, right, and in this case, in the case of orbiting bodies, for some reason, uh, these tidal forces are always kind of dictating what's happening, unless there's something really strange going on. Everything's trying to be like in a synchronous, tidally locked orbit, right, and I I think that's, it's, it kind of just, you know, I'm sure some people understand it much better than I do, but it screams of just like, there is some underlying order here, you know, like, like, a physical truth that's that's underlying these things that is inescapable for these bodies and everything, everything we're talking about obeys these laws, even though we don't, like gravity even is something we don't completely understand yet, you know, we don't understand these things, it's not, we don't have like a completely perfect unified theory of everything, right, and that's a common, that's something you'll hear talked about the more you go into this, right, and I think things like this make me think it's got to be out there. Even if we don't understand it, even if we never do, it's got to be out there. Like these, this is, these are, there are truths here that are at work that are just kind of manifesting themselves as necessary, right? Even if they're not enough for us to understand, I think that's an interesting result, of, you know, even the moons of our solar system show that. Just fabulous. Just <laughs> fabulous. I'm, I might, I might shed a tear after that one. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we are out of time here today, but this has been the Space Chams Podcast. Uh, and our, today you've had me, Cham, and our co-host, Will Murphy. Uh, it's been a really exciting talk. I've loved it very much. I wish to continue. We could talk about moons all day. Um, but tell us what you think. Uh, send us any questions on on Twitter. Uh, to the Space Chams Instagram account and then hopefully we can answer them or we can talk about them on one of our podcasts in the future. We'll be seeing Will uh, in the future for sure. Uh, possible co-host for life. Respect. Um, but thanks for listening and always remember to keep looking up turn on my turn